0: Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Hello, and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place, Today we are live. It is Wednesday, November 6, 2013. Where is the year going? I tell you what, my buzzword today is predictive. Let me tell you about it. IBM's Watson beat the Mensa Mavens on TV's Jeopardy, what became an epic show a little while ago. Target, I love to call it Target, knows your family size. They know other once personal demographics about your family. Hmm. And how about that Match.com? They can identify candidates they're pretty sure might be your next mate if you're in the market. Don't you wish your organization could be that smart about business in your bottom line? I have a packed panel of experts. They've been on the show before. This is actually a part two. Let me tell you the quotes they sent me, and then I'll introduce them to you. First up on the panel will be John Elder from Elder Research. and John said, Humans and machines have very different strengths and weaknesses. The best decisions come from combining their two types of wisdom. We'll be hearing from John in a moment, and those are words of wisdom. Greta Roberts, a regular guest on the show from Talent Analytics. Greta says, when a predictive approach is added to the hiring process cost-benefit models sometimes show it's more powerful to screen out potential bottom-performing hires. That's a mouthful. We'll talk to Greta in just a minute. Joining us again as well as Eric Siegel, the author of Predictive Analytics, The Power to Predict. Who will click, buy, lie, or die? I love that one. That's a subtitle. And Eric says, everyone's heard that correlation does not entail causality, but without establishing any causality... How can we trust a predictive model? Good, good question there. And we'll talk to Eric. And rounding out our panel, also returning a regular on the show, is Henner Schliebs at SAP. And he asked the question, are CFOs the better CEOs? And he adds, advanced finance analytics drive the strategic role of finance heads – with holistic intelligence about financial, operational, and company performance. And he advises, words of wisdom here, master your margins, become a king, from Henner Schliebs. So join us for the next hour for more insights on what we like to call the new CFO agenda, Tying Predictive to Financial Performance Part 2. Welcome again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. Those of you who are keeping track, I think we're up to live show number 110, and the show's been on the air since October 2011. So we're trucking along and we're renewing for another year. So we'll be around a long time here on the business channel. Let me tell you who my guests are. Let me refresh your memory and we'll hear from them now. John Elder leads Elder Research, America's largest and most experienced data mining consultancy. Founded in 1995 and with offices in Charlottesville, VA, and Washington, D.C., Elder, research has solved projects in a huge variety of areas of mining data, text, and links. And let me just tell you that John has co-authored three books on practical data mining, ensembles, and text mining, and he won two prose awards for top book in mathematics or computer science. Welcome back, John Elder. How are you today?
2: doing great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. Where are you calling from?
2: Charlottesville, Virginia.
1: Oh, okay. I should have known that. How's the weather down there?
2: Oh, it's beautiful. It's a great time of year in the Monticello country here.
1: Well, nice. Are the trees changing colors?
2: Oh, yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah, uh, R- take off R- my R-S- plane later today, and I'll be looking over a beautiful, it reminds me of the Shire
1: wonderful yes I'm here on Long Island and our trees are changing it's another crisp beautiful sunny clear blue sky day I'm waiting to hear where where Greta is I think she's up in the Boston Cambridge area so let's get to Greta now Greta Roberts everybody knows she's the CEO of Talent Analytics Corp and a faculty member at the International Institute for Analytics Greta has over 20 years you don't look at Greta I had to say that working for world class technology innovators like Lotus Netscape Webline Cisco and Open Ratings Greta has grown talent analytics to become a leader in predicting employee behavior, which she calls the next logical step beyond predicting customer behavior. She speaks at all the big events, and she's been quoted in MIT Sloan Management Review, Harvard Business Review, VentureBeat, Info Management, Computer World, etc., cetera, et cetera, Greta Roberts, welcome back. How are you? Thank you, Bonnie. Um, I am well today, thank you, and calling from, like you know, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And are you in the same weather system that John and I are in, the east coast, looking beautiful and yes, crisp and we nice? We
3: are. It's a beautiful fall. It's one of the best. Orange and um just luxurious outside. It's gorgeous.
1: Good. I, I'm glad we've got similar weather here. Let's turn to Eric Siegel. Eric Siegel, Ph.D., the founder of Predictive Analytics World and Text Analytics World and executive editor of the Predictive Analytics Times. He makes the how and why of predictive analytics understandable, and I love this, captivating, and your book is captivating, Eric. He's the author of, as I said, Predictive Analytics, The Power to Predict Who Will Click, Buy, Lie, or Die, and I have to tell you, he's a former Columbia University professor who did what he sang to his students. Enough of that. Eric Siegel, welcome. Are you going to sing for us today? It, on, I'll do requests. <laughs> <laughs> and, thanks, Bonnie. And I'm not, I'm not going to predict what you're going <laughs> to sing. That would be way too much. Eric, where are you calling from today?
4: Uh, I'm in Rio de Janeiro. I, my wife's Brazilian, so that traps me down here.
1: Oh, that's right. I think that's where you were the last time. That's right yeah. and so we need a weather report from Rio. What's happening in Rio?
4: Well, today is not so great, but it's it's been quite nice recently sunny. there's a beach
1: good, glad to hear it and is it is All it what the what's the season there now we're in mid November here in on the east coast time so where, what season is it for you in rio
4: it's uh It's springtime.
1: Ah, that's what I was looking for. Okay, good. Glad you're enjoying Spring in Rio. And let's bring in Henner Schliebs. He's a Senior Director for Analytics Product Marketing at SAP. He has over 12 years of analytics experience, and he's responsible for driving, somebody has a cough, driving the adoption of analytics solutions from SAP across all departments. His credo is, everybody should be an analyst, and everybody should have a chance to make better decisions through analytics. Great quote there. We could have used that. Henner, how are you, and where are you calling from?
5: I'm doing great, Bonnie, and I'm calling from the beautiful Texas hill country.
1: Oh, nice. And what's your weather there? I know your season, but what does it look like outside? Uh,
5: Currently, it's a little bit of rainy outside, but uh, we can need some uh, rain here. We had an awful drought over the summer, so everybody's happy if it's rainy.
1: Okay, good. Black rain is a good thing there. I think that's what we're predicting. They're predicting for us here in the Northeast. So let's go back to the quotes you all sent me. Wonderful quotes, as always. Let's pull them apart and find out how they relate to our topic. And our topic today is tying predictive analytics to financial performance, part two. And by the way, this show, this topic was on our Financial Excellence with Game Changers series, which happened in spring and summer of 2013. So not that long ago. Ago. It was actually on June 4th. So thank you all for crossing over to the Coffee Break Show with me. John Elder, Elder Research. Let's pull this apart. Humans and machines have very different strengths and weaknesses. The best decisions come from combining their two types of wisdom. Talk to me, John. What are we thinking here?
2: Yes. Well, I think we're all familiar with the human wisdom, and most activities are run by that intuition and learning and and. It goes a long way it's it's incredibly powerful, it's astonishing. it works as well as it does, uh, but the computer has a completely different way of looking at the world that gets details right, looks for small probabilities and edge. It's more like if you use it, you're sort of becoming the casino in a gambling hall you've got you've got the odds on your side, and time will accrue your way good thing. so uh, and the analogy I like to use is a doctor a doctor has all this intuition, the ability to ask questions and Respond to you and so forth, but they may have only seen a few cases like yours before The computer though can look at a shallow way at thousands of patients and have a, a good idea of the likely Diagnosis and you put those two together and you got that interactivity and intuition of the human expert combined with the Sheer logic and accuracy of the computer. You have something very powerful.
1: Thank you, John. And what what occurs to me as I'm reading this over in front of me on my notes is humans and machines, we created the machines. (laughs) Weren't we supposed supposed to make them in our own image? We see movies and TV shows and sitcoms about the robot who's almost human, okay, if only he or she had a heart. But why didn't we make machines to have the same strengths that we had? Or or can you, well, in the prediction segment at the end of the show, maybe we'll predict that machines will become more human-like. Just a quick from you, John. If we created the machines, why don't we have the same strengths and weaknesses? Well, it's a good
2: thing we don't uh, because then we have a <laughs> helper that's, uh, you know, a complementary to us. But uh, in my own opinion, it's impossible.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's good. I think that's another show. Thank you, John. Greta Roberts, let's talk about the quote you sent me. When a predictive approach is added to the hiring process, which of course is the strength of your company, Talent Analytics, cost-benefit models sometimes show, and I'm interested in the sometimes, Greta, it is more powerful to screen out potential bottom-performing hires. Let's dig into this, Greta. What are we talking about?
3: Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. Um, obviously, the show is the CFO agenda and tying predictive to financial performance. And like John just um, mentioned, what we're trying to do is really optimize performance with predictive analytics or reduce risk. And since we focus more on inside of the organization on with employees, what we see a lot of times is a lot of focus on how do I hire and optimize, you know, the person that I'm going to hire. I really want to focus in on, you know, who's going to be the best person for the role, and we do that as well. What we're seeing in some of our work recently is that you can actually get better um, performance, if you will, over uh, over a performance by avoiding bad hires instead of um, finding or as well as finding the top performers. And so we wanted to put that in there kind of as a quote to have people go, really, it's just it's the other end of it that people aren't looking at. And so just to... Um, You know, it's the other tale of optimizing performance by, you know, avoiding the bad hires.
1: Greta, do we know how to avoid the bad hires? I'm sure this is a very important question in your line of work. How do you? Do you say, oh, well, this job really isn't that important. We need to fill a body. Yeah, he or she has a good resume. They've done this before. Let's take a chance. Or do you say, OMG, they don't know how to multitask. They'll never work well in a virtual hive, which was our topic yesterday on HR Trends with Game Changers. And they're just not going to cut it in our corporate culture. They would be a bottom performer. How, how, How advanced or articulate are we? today in identifying those potential bottom-performing hires, Greta?
3: Well, it's really interesting. We do it in the same way
1: that people avoid
3: um, giving, you know, when they do credit risk modeling, where you're taking a look at, should I give Bonnie, you know, a certain line of credit? Should I give Greta a certain line of credit? um uh, it's really exactly the same algorithms you're just really looking at a different end and so what you're doing is modeling in the same way people are modeling customer analytics or credit risk scoring is you look at the under other end of the scoring and saying you know where would Bonnie be is is she in the top x percent where would Greta be? Would she be in the bottom X percent? And so you don't need to, you know, look at one or the other, but it really okay. isn't about intuition. And typically on intuition, what you're doing is focusing on the top hires, but really it's taking, you know, it's really taking an analytics approach and then have that taken uh, a look at, like John is saying, by humans who say, does this make sense? So it really is the combination of both of those.
1: Thank you, Greta. I appreciate that, Eric Siegel. And by the way, to my guests, we're moving the brakes around today. So instead of cutting right now at quarter after, we're going to go to 20 after, so we have a lot more time. So Eric Siegel, author of Predictive Analytics, interesting quote you sent me, Eric. Everyone's heard that correlation does not entail causality, but without establishing any causality, how can we trust a predictive model? Give me the 101 on what this all says, Eric Siegel.
4: Well, a lot of people look to understanding, even what Greta just mentioned, you know, look at the model. Does this make sense? And there's really only an art to doing that because you can't um, conclusively uh, determine causality. You need to let go and be okay uh, with just seeing that there's correlation, and that helps predict, and not having an absolute certainty in many cases about the why, uh, answering the why and getting an explanation uh right so for example um data could easily show that an increase in ice cream consumption correlates with an increase in shark attacks um which sounds crazy was that because when you eat the ice cream it makes you taste better to the sharks well no the <laughs> more the more likely explanation interpretation causal answer reason is because it's seasonal. And it's warmer. People tend to be eating ice cream more and also tend to be uh, swimming more. So these two different things are both caused by one common uh, origin or source of the causality. Uh, now, of course, in the data, you may be seeing these relationships without having that source, without having it, it may be an unobserved or unmeasured, there's no data on it, so all you see is a relationship between two things that have no direct causal relation between one another. So even though we like to interpret it and try to figure out the why, oftentimes we just have to put our trust in statistics and say, hey, there's a correlation It helps us predict, that's good enough for me.
1: Thank you, Eric. Eric, with your permission, I want to read a little blurb here from the press sheet for your book uh, because I'd, I'd just like to get these thoughts in the beginning of the show, and then, Hannah, we will pick you up in a second. Uh, Eric's book, of course, is Predictive Analytics, The Power to Predict Who Will Click, Buy, Lie, or Die. I love that you threw in the die there, Eric. So here's, here's the promo, and just let me read this so we get this on the table. Everyone has been predicted by companies, governments, law enforcement, hospitals, and universities. Their computers say, I knew you were going to do that. Why? For good reason. Predicting human behavior combats financial risk, fortifies health care, reduces spam, toughens crime fighting, and boosts sales. Predictive analytics is the science that unleashes the power of this data. Nice summary, Eric. Thanks for letting me read that. I just wanted to get that so anybody who's been hiding under a rock and doesn't know what this is, <laughs> here, we, here we are. Okay. Henner Schlieb's SAP. Interesting quote from you, Henner. You said, are CFOs the better CEOs? Advanced finance analytics drive the strategic role of finance heads with holistic intelligence about – financial, operational, and company performance. And then here's the caveat. Master your margins, become a king. So you are tying predictive financial performance. Talk to me, Henner. Do you think that CFOs make the better CEOs?
5: I don't know if they're making the better CFOs, uh, CEOs, but uh, you see recently that uh, there's a couple of companies uh, where the CFOs succeed the parting uh, CEO. And I think there's a reason and a uh, structure behind it because – uh, CFOs these days are, are the holder, holder of the holy grail. They, they have all the information they would need in order to drive company performance. And the strategy of profit uh, protection uh, is the core of many businesses and have been uh, going on for a while, but now with the most obvious opportunities for cost savings already taken in a lot of companies, these finance executives will have to hunt harder for profit boosters. So they will have to work harder with with operating managers and conduct detailed analysis of the cost trends in order to uh, better master the margins. And I think technology these days gives CFOs and his um, group um, the possibility to do so.
1: Okay. Henner, since you were last, and of course not least, any comments on what any of the other guests said? We have about a minute before we go to break. Any thoughts on on John's comments about humans and machines, the differences? Yes. I
5: think think, uh, it's a great panel. This brings us together, right? Um, When we say everybody has to be an analyst, we have to make sure that the people know what they are doing. I love the analogy between ice cream and shark attack. It's the same like like, if you go to bed with your boots on, uh, you most probably wake up with a headache the next morning, but it's not the boots, it's uh, something else, right? You have to you <laughs> not only go to the obvious, uh, you have to um, analyze a little bit more, and this brings it together with uh, Greta as well, that uh, the hiring process or the team composition within your company has to be uh, very focused and uh, taking machine learning, uh, machine capabilities, and the human sector into consideration to arrive at the uh, best
1: outcome. Perfect. Thank you for wrapping that up. Guess what? I can predict now that we're safely at the end of our first segment. We're going a little long today and only taking two breaks. Why? Because I can predict a lot more words of wisdom from my expert panel. We're speaking today to John Elder of Elder Research, Greta Roberts of Talent Analytics, Eric Siegel, the author of Predictive Analytics, among other things, and Henner Schliebs from SAP. Our topic of the day, Tying Predictive Analytics to Financial Performance, Part 2. But what's Part 2 among friends? Friends. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. Go get a cup. And when we come back in about, oh, 57 seconds, we will find out what my guests are drinking today. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Brad out.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers.
1: Here we are. Let's find out what my guests are drinking today. John Elder from Elder Research. What's in your cup or what do you wish was in your cup today, Uh, John? (laughs)
2: Had a nice little decaf, uh, non-fat latte in the uh, friendly little coffee shop near our office. Had a chuckle at my expense. Their nickname for it, I found out, was the "Why bother."
1: You're kidding. That's the <laughs> flavor. Is that the co- What? It, what is "why bother"?
2: Nickname, since it's got no fat and no caffeine, what are you doing? Why are you bothering <laughs> uh...
1: And would we say that's popular or?
2: I'm not sure. Yeah, I think most people <laughs> like the caffeine, but it, with me, I'm already a little bit hyper. It takes me to another level. It's 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 it kind of funny to watch.
1: <laughs> okay, well, this is radio. I wish we could see you. By the way, you you know, John, they don't let Bonnie have caffeine on show day, and <laughs> we know you. why. Yes, that's protective armor. Greta Roberts, what are you drinking today? Or or what would I prefer? Actually, what I yes. am drinking,
3: what is in my coffee cup today, is something very, very difficult to find in the area, but I have found it. And it is orange juice with pulp. And one of my pet peeves is that um, it's really hard to find orange juice with pulp these days, but the little mm-hmm. store next door has that. And I'm at the end of a cold, and so I'm really uh, pleased to have my orange juice with pulp. So there, now you know too much information about me.
1: Now, you know, I'll tell you a funny story. I bought some tangerines on sale at the supermarket and they were really awful to eat. A little on the sour side, loaded with pits. More pits than skin and then pulp and everything. But I had a brainstorm. I took out my 1950-something electric juicer, Greta, and I juiced what was left. And it made a marvelous glass of fresh squoze. I like that word. Fresh squoze tangerine juice that actually was sweet and delicious. It was better squeezed than it was eating it Right, out of the fruit. So that was interesting. Yes, it's hard to find the pulp. Nice. Good point. Yeah, good delicious. Pulp. Great. Good, good pulp. And not, not fiction either. Eric Siegel, right. what are you drinking today, Or
4: I, um My beverage today is acai. I'd say about maybe half, if I had to guess, of people in the U.S. have heard of acai. You can get the high-end grocery stores like Whole Foods and stuff like that. It's a beverage. Mm-hmm. Um, invariably... Uh, combined with a castination as well, I and mean, it's based on a berry from the Amazon. But in fact, when you get it down here in Brazil, uh, you actually eat it with a spoon. It's kind of like a very, very thick smoothie. It's very good.
1: Oh, good. Thank you. We I have heard of that. We had somebody talk about that. I think over the summer on the show. How do you spell that, by the way? Is it A C I A or? Yeah, actually, I don't really know how people spell it,
4: uh, pronounce in the U.S. But yeah, it's A C. A-I, acai. A-I.
1: Okay, very good. Thank you very much. And Henry Schliebs in Texas. What's the drink in Texas today, Henner?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I don't drink anything right
5: now. I had my first call at 5 a.m. in the morning with a customer okay. in the Middle East, so I had a couple of espressos in the meantime. But I'm having a lot of Butterfingers, Starburst, uh, Baby Ruth, Kit Kat, and Laffy Taffy on my table. So <laughs> guess who's the candy fairy in our family?
1: You're you're getting your caffeine from the chocolate bars. Very good. That's another way to get your caffeine intake. By the way, Malcolm Kimberlin, you all know and love him. My co-producer says he's drinking Pete's Major Dickinson's, dark, rich, and black as the night. Thank you, Malcolm, for that. Appreciate that. Now let's dive into our roundtable. I have great, great talking points here from all of my guests, but I want to go back to John Elder who kicked off our segment with the Quotes at the beginning, and and John, I want to tie it back to you said humans and machines have very different strengths and weaknesses, and the best deal is to combine the strengths of both. And you sent me this talking point. I'd like to go with this and get the panel to weigh in, and let's start with you. You say the machine can't make any progress unless the expert's labels are largely correct. But after the computer model is built, look at the cases that are hardest to get correct. It's possible the experts got those wrong. So let's tie that back to the value of predictive and whether we're relying on the machine intelligence, the human, or both, and the strengths and weaknesses. Talk to me, John.
2: Well, The model that works most often is you have, uh, human judgments, like this person has cancer or doesn't, or this was a goodbye, not a goodbye, and Mm -hmm. they, uh, those are the labels, the outcome variables, the dependent variable that you're trying to use the computer to predict that given all the factors that you know about that case or that person or that, uh, that situation. So you have all these input variables that are things you can measure and the output variable that you're trying to predict, which is the outcome, and sometimes that outcome is a human judgment rather than a verifiable immediately verifiable condition Uh, you know maybe a diagnosis or something that unfortunately is sometimes erroneous but the whole lot better than no label so we use those labels to try to get the big picture have the computer figure out a model to predict when something you know a person has a particular kind of cancer versus a different kind and uh, it does a pretty good job, and it's judged against the human labels. But what is, I think, not well understood is that those human labels are often wrong, even though they're largely right. Sometimes they're wrong in the details, and so it's very useful to see where they disagree the most. A computer's been trained and trying as hard as it can to match mm-hmm. the instructions the human gave it, and it gives a, a, a response that gets most of them right. Well, the ones that are wrong might actually be mislabeled.
1: Interesting. Greta, I bet you have an opinion on this about as far as the labeling goes. What would you like to add to John's comments?
3: Yeah, it's, I think it's a great point. And um, I think on the intuition side, it's, it's very interesting when we're doing predictive work with customers, the um, outcome that they're looking for, <clears throat> excuse me, you often need to – um, maybe tweak the outcome, or challenge that just a little bit to move it slightly to the left or to the right, so that it is more of something that um, um, is a little more quantitative. Um, trying to think of an example of uh, well I, I guess one thing that that happens on the hiring side or really mm-hmm. optimizing performance. Um, When we take a look at, as an example, um, the percentage of time people actually just using gut and intuition can get it right, it might be 20% of the time or even less. But when we try to or sometimes introduce, you know, an analytics model and a predictive approach, they the outcome that they're looking for is 100% accuracy. Um, And so what we have to do is kind of work with that to make sure that because nobody or we hope that nobody is ever that predictable, um, and so we really need to work with that model to say, okay, you're currently at 20%, um, so if we can get to 60% or something like that and really work with the label or the outcome that they're looking for.
1: Interesting, Greta, and I want to bring in one more point you sent me before we get Eric and Henry to chime in on this. You said in customer credit scoring, one bad debt decision wipes out the benefit of about seven good customer decisions. One to seven, seven to one, those aren't really, really uh, very good odds, are they, Greta? Does this have to do with the labels?
3: Um, I think it is, and that's just one example, certainly in customer credit scoring. Maybe it's one to two or one to three or one to nine or one to 16. I don't know, but you know the point is i think in customer credit scoring which is a little more advanced than what um most organizations mm-hmm. are doing on the employee hiring side um, you know the point is really to begin to have CFOs since we're talking about the CFO agenda begin to you know and hiring managers think in the same way. I think marketing and folks that are dealing with customers are starting and you know credit scoring, et cetera are really thinking in that way. But if you would ask folks to do hiring, if you make a bad hiring decision you know, how, the benefit of how many good hires does that destroy? Is that one good hire that it destroys? And typically we're seeing between one and four good hires that, um, you know, that one bad hire can just devastate. And so the point is to really start thinking in those terms as well.
2: Greta, if I may Thank- jump in here, John.
3: Yes. The, Go ahead, I think
2: John. Uh, it's kind of shocking sometimes to say, I don't want the model that's correct most of the time. You mm. don't want absolute correct percentage to be your criteria you want the one that Mm -hmm. returns the greatest value and some Mm -hmm. mistakes are much more costly than others so by focusing on the business cost of the different kinds of mistakes and factoring that into your analytics then you'll get the most useful model
1: thank you john good point john yep And Eric, I want to bring you in. I'm looking at Chapter 4 in your book, Predictive Analytics, Eric, and the title is The Machine That Learns, A Look Inside Chase's Prediction of Mortgage Risk. We couldn't be any more interested in financials than we're talking about mortgage risk because that's the bottom line in the dollars and that's the health of the bank in many cases. So Eric, you want to chime in on what we've been talking about here in terms of the models and the labels and what percentage of good models you really want to keep or good decisions?
4: Yeah. um, You know, what Greta and John are discussing is what, you know, what's the cost of different kinds of errors. Sometimes they call it, you call it false positive and false negative. So, Mm -hmm. you know, with the mortgage risk story in my chapter, that's actually ironically about the risk of a mortgage holder paying back too fast instead of never paying you back at all. So normally financial risk with regard to to loans is going to be, um, you know, that you never get paid back at all. But the, mm-hmm. there's something called a prepayment where, you know, your mortgage holder actually re- went and refinanced at a competing bank. So they're going to pay you all at once, and you're not going to get those future interest payments. Um, so it's a different kind of loss. It's it's basically just the loss of a customer. It's a defection. Um, in any case, whatever you're trying to predict, whether a customer's going to leave, or stay, whether somebody's going to turn out to be a good credit risk, a good employee, um, and whether uh, somebody has a certain kind of cancer, um, there's there's the false positive and false negative. Which is worse, uh, telling someone they have cancer when, in fact, they're healthy, or the other mm-hmm. way around where you miss the cancer they actually do have? It's very hard to put a number on that. And, as, it, as it, you know, in, in the case of financial applications, you can put a number on it. You know, I just wasted $2 sending a brochure because I was predicting this person would buy the product versus mm-hmm. I'd save the $2 because I predicted a person would not have bought the product. And an opportunity cost of $200 because actually they would have. So that balance is really tricky in healthcare. Um You know, so if it's not already hard enough to sort of balance those issues, and and try to tweak the model so it's predicting as, as precisely as possible. Then comes the issue that John Elder brought up, whereas you don't even, it's a moving target. You don't even know for sure within the the data that you're learning from who actually did have cancer or not. You have a pretty good chance, but the fact is some of the labels are incorrect because doctors make mistakes. Diagnoses are not always correct, um, you know, so there are there are cases where it turns out the machine, the predictive model, uh, actually does diagnosis better than the human experts, in that case doctors. There was a case study in the last couple of years um, where research labs showed the ability to diagnose breast cancer uh, better than the physicians.
1: Mm. Interesting, interesting. Hannah, I want to bring you in, and I want to turn the focus very sharply to the finance function in the company. Let me read a point you sent me before the show. Hannah Schlieb says, finance is the most important function of a company. Securing the funds to operate a business is key. The strategic aspect cannot be emphasized enough. And he adds, analytics support every finance process. There should not be any decision made without supporting data. So can you tie that into what we're talking about, models and, and and labels and outcomes, Henner, so we can tie this in a bow.
5: Yeah, totally. So coming back to the false positives, uh, we have a customer, a huge bank, um, one of the top five globally. They they had to employ two hundred people globally just to manage day to day false positives um, cases they had in their anti money laundering um, approach. And I think it, it's a it's a huge area to to invest and also for. The CFO being responsible for funding um, the uh, investments um, of a company and also the operation of a company, all finance processes have to be um, influenced by analytics because um, the, the accountants make um, important decisions. Whatever they they need to know mid-month um, the figures uh, of month end already in order to prevent um, bad news in uh, in the market, for example, or or the uh, financial planning and analysis uh, processes need planning support based on historical and external data, which is, which is really important. Talking about the treasury and financial risk um, processes, what about cash forecasting? You, you need to know um, your, your bank accounts. You need to know commodity risk, and you have to analyze it and get an overview and predict certain figures um, that, that uh, directly influence your operations, right? talking about operations, finance operations, um, accounts receivable analysis. You you might want to have some payment behavior analysis of your customers. Why are certain customers always paying late? Is it advantageous if I um, start an email uh, or or direct contact with these customers before I go through the uh, typical escalation processes? Do I have some, some mechanisms in place to optimize my payables, for example? If I have too many cash in my books right now, I may, might want to make use of it and, and leverage the contract I'm having with my suppliers and pay early and get a better rate or something like that, right? This has all come together, and, and the um, collaboration between the teams is, is very, very essential in this um, context. And I think um, analytics, and especially advanced analytics, can can provide some meaningful guidance for each and everybody uh, to do a better job and to make better decisions. And I'm talking about each and every decision has to be made uh, based on data.
1: Now, let's talk about – we're talking about analytics models and labels and doing it the right way. How do we train people in companies of all sizes today to be – perhaps the term might be – an analytics Scientist, where they know what to do, it doesn 't just happen, people aren 't the machines, so uh, John elder, why don 't you help me with this? Uh, who would be the ones to do this the right way? Who are the people who are smart enough to know what to do with the outcome or to do the programming for these analytics so that they have the right balance of decision making tools? Talk to me
2: yeah that 's a great question. I think one of the most Thank uh, you. Uh, important but not not appreciated at first. Is the business understanding the the interest and mm-hmm. in, and knowledge of the context in which you're solving the problem, and mm-hmm. then that translates into um, you know where might you look for possible answers to your to your question, and there you need folks that really have a good feel for statistics and um, and are curious uh, curiosity mm-hmm. tenacity. Uh, love to learn, love to find out new things, the kind of people that will stick with a mystery until they've solved it turns out to be really important.
1: Very interesting. Greta, I bet you have some insight on this coming from your background in talent analytics, your 20 years of working for innovators. What do you see? Who are the people who were most suited? In other words, Greta, let's go back to your original theme. Who would be the good hiring decisions in terms of the people to work skillfully and accurately, if that's possible, in analytics?
3: Yeah, we actually did some research around this because we had that same question, and we were wondering if there was a quantitative way to really identify um, these characteristics, and we did. And so we actually, you know, what John Elder just said, people that are curious, that really came through in the research that we did, curious and creative. Um, The one thing that I wanted to bring up that I think is something that is overlooked often is, That people look for traditionally, ah, who are the people inside of our organization, you know, like you said, Bonnie, to actually do the analytical work. I'd like to kind of propose that I think there's a piece of the workflow that I think that we're perhaps missing, which is who are the people to come up with... Um, projects that might be suited for analytics, which I think starts everything because they really are the demand part of the entire workflow. The supply is really the supply of the, you know, um, analyst to actually do the work, but somebody has to come up with a challenge that says we're currently Mm -hmm. doing modeling or we're coming up with these sorts of things you know, using intuition in this way, I bet this is a good project for analytics. And so I think not only the question is who, you know, who are the people that actually do the work, but how do we identify the people inside of our organization who can dig around and look for appropriate, um, you know, appropriate uh, projects for us to take on. And I, I think that's something that isn't being asked often enough.
1: Great point, Greta. Would that person be in the C-suite? Would they be in uh, the CFO's organization? Where would that person be? Take a, a, not an educated guess, but what are you seeing? Where would that person belong or where should they sit? or Me? would they be all over the company? Yes, Greta. Where would that person be somebody who could be in different departments in a company where they say, "Hey, I we need to know such and such." I think that
3: person is all over the I think that person mm-hmm. is
1: all over the map. Um
3: and I think what yeah. you can do is look for people or even ask or even have a contest to say, "Hey, let's have a contest for great ideas about how you think we might be able to solve things." Um, You know, there's lots of analytic contests that are happening out there, um, you know, publicly. And I think the contest for, you know, intra-organization inside of the organization and people that have been thinking about this, I think, will rise to the top and say, I've been thinking about something. I think they're all across the map. I don't think it is a title
1: You heard it first here. That's great information. Uh, Eric Siegel, what are you thinking about all this in terms of the people who will, number one, suggest or propose the topics that might be ripe for analytics and the people who will actually be skilled enough and have the focus, the concentration, thinking outside of the box to work on the analytics piece? What do you think, Eric?
4: Well, I think both uh, Greta and John before her uh, are correct to be speaking about the needs of, of that staff member in terms of her or his qualities or propensities rather than a specific degree, background, or analytical skill set, uh, you know, know-how of certain tools and this kind of stuff, it's more about qualities and propensities because, you know, the difference between the word analytics and the word statistics, you know, other than the fact that statistics might be the most boring word um, ever, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. puts people to sleep, um, and there is because analytics is the use of quantitative means for business purpose, so one, you know, what John said, the first thing is business understanding. This can't just be a quant. This can't just be somebody who's good at math. Uh, that it has to do with that real treacherous intersection where you want to make sure things are done right uh, for business purposes, not just for sort of mathematically sound or mathematically interesting um, results. And and because of that, you know, what we constantly see in this industry, in this field is that the, the, these people who are playing this role have backgrounds all over the place, including physics, psychology, computer science, um, indeed statistics, but also just programmers. Uh, two programmers who were basically lay people from the analytical standpoint were uh, some of the winners of the first $1 million public competition in data mining, which was a competition held by Netflix. Um, so, you know, I, that is to say, just sort of to to, to frame what I think these these two – Uh, Other guests just said, I think that's, I think they're hitting the nail on the head.
1: Thank you very much. And I want to bring Henner into this before we go to break. Henner, I have a note here from you that says the key is to answer what, so what, and what's next, because this will help executives drive initiatives across the organization, to Greta's point, with full backup and highest chances of success. So in your opinion and your experience, Henner Schliebs at SAP, what is the key? What is the answer? Who asks what, so what, and what's next? (laughs) Whose role is it? Talk to me.
5: yeah I fully agree with uh, what uh, uh, John and uh, Eric and Greta said understanding the business is is the first uh, point that should uh, be accomplished and then create kind of a team where you have this strong analytical background combined with the business background and somebody being able to communicate it uh, to the whole um, ecosystem is is very essential so as an example, you can figure out drivers of performance, and now now you can align the teams and act more efficient to drive profits. Uh, as an example, you, you have tools in place that help uh, the sales guys now acting according to the full picture, not only having the revenues in mind, but uh, as an example, also the profit components. And now they can align customers to the internal expense structure. That means suggesting alternate delivery methods, uh, suggesting alternate services. So uh, it's a win-win, right? It's a higher compensation for the sales guy, and it's uh, higher profits for the company. And this brings it all together.
1: Okay, you know what? We have pushed our envelope here. Instead of 14-minute segments, we've gone, I think, over 20 minutes on this one because I know my guests have so much to say, didn't want to interrupt anybody. But I'm going to give you all about a minute break to catch your breath. And you know what's happening next. When we come back, it's the final segment. I'm going to ask John Elder from Elder Research, Greta Roberts at Talent Analytics, Eric Siegel, the author of Predictive Analytics, and Henner Schliebs at SAP to either go out to the garage, the attic, or in the trunk of the car, or wherever, find the crystal ball, whatever model you bought at some point, I don't care how old it is, Dust it off, polish it off, and when we come back, I'll ask you to predict five years out. If we had this conversation five years from today, tying predictive to financial performance, let's call it part three hypothetically, what would you see? Would it be blue skies ahead? Would it be cloudy or a mix thereof? And what can you tell our listeners they can look forward to according to you? That's a mouthful. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. Again, our topic is tying predictive analytics to financial performance. And, Henry, in your prediction, I want you to cover the topic of big data, which we didn't get to in the show today. So don't even think of touching that dial while my guests are out searching for the crystal ball. We'll be right back with predictions. Don't go away. Brad out.
0: The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network.
1: We are. We're talking about predictive analytics tied to financial performance. Quick note about predictive analytics, Eric Siegel's book. Uh, he covers in one particular chapter predicting which people will drop out of school, cancel a subscription, or get divorced before the people themselves are even aware of it. I've got to read that chapter again, Eric. That's great. So I'm going to ask my panel to look into the crystal ball. I know they all went out during the break and found one or bought one or polished one off. I don't know what they did. I'm going to ask them each, John Elder, Greta Roberts, Eric Siegel, and Henry Schliebs, to tell me what you see ahead let's try to go five years blue skies cloudy skies and can you see clearly to whether we would even be having this conversation in five years so let's kick off the crystal ball segment with john elder from elder research go ahead john
2: thank you bonnie you know mm-hmm. we've Elder research is about 50 people whose job it is to predict the future. and uh, But we really, it's not that. It, the job is to predict the relationship between the inputs and future outcomes. And so uh, speculation is different. But the beautiful thing is we don't have to speculate here. And, and analytics has been adopted in different fields at different times. Credit scoring was really early, and they, they built whole businesses around that. Uh, direct marketing was an early adopter. It's only now coming to insurance and medical fields and so forth, but you can see from the futures of the past, from the futures in the other fields, how successful it's going to be, and the skies look blue.
1: Okay. Uh, Keep going.
2: Yes. Yeah, very. So it's very exciting in that um, there's a progression of an early adopter uh, getting the the uh, taking the risk and making the lead, and only then do other people in their industry wake up and say, "Oh my gosh, to stay competitive, we're going to have to change from the way we've mm-hmm. always done it or the way we've been doing it to this new way." And I think a great example. We took our whole the movie. Um, uh, oh gosh, I've forgotten the name already. About the baseball with the
3: money
2: Moneyball. Uh, Moneyball. Money ball. Moneyball. Yes, Thank thanks, you. Greta. the Most Thank you. ever seen baseball movie in time. We took the whole office to see it. And it's a great example of analytics making a difference. And the real hero, though, is not the the nerd, the geek that does the analytics. The real hero is the one that believes in it, is the, the business champion of analytics who takes the risk, puts their career on the line, makes the bet, acts on the analytics. And, you know, spoiler alert, it's a great success.
1: And that's what goes back to when I asked the question earlier in the show, John Elder, I asked uh, who would be the, da- the perfect person candidate for the data scientist role. And I believe Greta said it's not the scientist, it's the one who comes up with the project and dot, 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 believes in the value of predictive to solve that question. As Henner said, uh, what is it, the what and the so what and the what next? So we have to have a, we used to call them a banner waiver, right? Somebody who believes. So do you feel more and more companies, John Elder, in the next? five years, will embrace, not just because, OMG, my competitor's doing it, damn it, we better catch up, but because they actually believe in the value. Will this become something generic and in the DNA of more companies, I, John? I
2: believe so. I think it'll be natural. Like, why not use computers to back yes. office? You know, it, it'll, it'll be natural. Right now, the opportunity is still there for first movers in industry. It's not yet caught on everywhere, but, but the risk is extremely low. The rewards are extremely high.
1: And what about for startups, John, quickly? Would you recommend that startups embrace analytics, predictive yes, analytics, an very quickly? Yes, ones
2: out there and uh, doing phenomenal things with data, and it's, uh, it's, it's coming at us. It might as well ride the wave.
1: It's, oh, I like that. We've got to embroider that or paint that on the side of an old building. I like that. Thank you, John. Greta Roberts, Talent Analytics, The Crystal Ball. Where would you find it, Greta, and what does it show?
3: Where did I find the crystal ball? Well,
1: like you said, it was
3: in the garage. It was a little dusty, but it's dusted off now. And Thank you. like John, um, we're seeing blue skies. It's funny. Our whole company went out to see Moneyball as well, so that's why it was able to bring up the name of the – and we sat there probably like your firm as well, John, and said, yep, absolutely. And you're right. It was the person that took the data and said – and the results and said, I'm going to go for it, um, and I have to implement this. And, in terms of you know my prediction, you know I think it's going to be very hard to ignore, and I think that um, businesses are seeing the payoff with some of the folks that are that have first mover status and are taking some of the early risks, and they're seeing these incredible payoffs in terms of either reducing risk or financial upside. And so to me, that's the only thing driving this is performance. And so as long as the, you know, predictive analytics continues to show performance, it will be impossible for businesses to ignore this and the march will continue into different areas. My specific prediction, you know, I was just thinking about and taking a look at as an example unemployment, long-term unemployment is up 244% since 2007. And for right now, you know, it's a little dour, but it doesn't show that there's, you know, a big turnaround about to happen on that. And so what that means for organizations, it gets more and more difficult to really figure out, you know, who is right for the role and how do we keep our extraordinary players in place, et cetera. And so I think these sorts of things are going to continue to move CFOs and the people that report to them um, to say we just have to engage new kinds of strategies, new kinds of analytics, new kinds of predictive abilities to really hire successfully, reduce risk, you know, not only with customers but with employees and kind of all across the board. So I'm with John. Um, blue skies for analytics and predictive. It's, it's time to embrace it.
1: Thank you, Greta. One quick question before we turn to Eric Siegel's predictions. Greta, do you foresee in the near-term future or far-term a seat in the C-suite that on the back of the director's chair says CPA, and it stands for Chief of Predictive Analytics? What do you think, yes or no?
3: I think it's interesting. I don't know if it will be Chief of Predictive Analytics. I know there's, um, you know, Chief Analytics Officer, uh, titles that are out there. I think it's, you know, starting to be formed. Is that report to the CFO or is that on its own? But I think, it, you know, even the fact that it's, you know, that there is a chief analytics officer um, title out there shows the level of strategy inside of an organization. So I think it's right up there. I agree with Hannah that it's uh, it's part of the strategy and, you know, really informs where the rest
1: of the business goes. Thank you, Greta. Eric Siegel, I give you just about a minute and a half. Talk to me. Predictions. What do you see?
4: Well, you know, Rick Whiting, Information Week, that with regard to predicting predictive analytics, he, his quote is, "What's next is what's next," um, and uh, hmm. I do see, I do very much see blue skies. I think John Elder's point is a great one in terms of, you know, look at the places where it's, there were early adopters, and they and now it's just the norm. It's totally a comfortable thing in certain sectors, direct marketing, um, and credit scoring, and and and, you know, and Greta also did the same thing. She referenced credit scoring as far as, like, look at the comfort level with this. Now it's going to be applied to HR decisions. Um, so as it moves across all of these uh, sectors, um, you know, and we're doing the same thing to expand the Predictive Analytics World Conference. In fact, John Elder and his colleagues and his firms uh, serve as program chair for the government-focused event and the forthcoming healthcare-focused event. The first one will be a year from now. Um, and we have a new one coming in manufacturing. So these are sectors where it's mm-hmm. kind of new, people are trying to get their footing, they're nervous, is this snake oil, how does it work, are we missing the boat? Um, whereas, you know, sort of in the broader business, marketing and, and uh, financial applications, it's sort of, it, it's well established, there's a comfort level, it's sort of been become more uh, embedded from a cultural standpoint. So, you know, you sort of see the same process across the different sectors.
1: Thank you very much, Eric. Appreciate that. Henner, I saved a minute for you. What are the words of wisdom from Henner Schliebs on big data analytics and future, cloudy or blue skies? Henner, give you one minute.
5: Blue sky, I'm hoping for. We we have to get rid of this uh, technical component and this uh, too strong statistical component of big data and big data analytics, I think, because uh, this this should all be business-driven, right? We should not uh, um, cover only the customer aspect uh, in analyzing customer behavior and predicting customer behavior, but also tie this back into the corporate functions of a given corporation and make use of the data. The data is there. Um, I, I stole the phrase "what so what" and "what's next" from an IIA research paper written by Gary Coking, who's a who's an expert in costing and advanced analytics. And the "so what" and "what's next" part is not um, a daily. Uh, business for corporate functions right now. We we always cover what has happened in the in the past, but we we did not figure out um, what is what is what is the real meaning, what's the real intention behind it, and even more importantly, what's next. So analytics is uh, taking actions from the analysis that you've been doing. So what's next is is the real important thing. And we have to leverage technology uh, in in, in all corporate functions and in uh, every level of your organization to better do it, to understand drivers, to create decision trees, to uh, do some segmentation analysis based on whatever recursive uh, partitioning and things like that. It's all getting easier from a technology perspective, and there are tools in place that a business user can use. And uh, my hope is that it even get more uh, simplified and that uh, you and I um, can can leverage and analytics uh, on a daily basis.
1: Thank you, Hannah. I saved 20 seconds for me for my predictions. Next Wednesday here on Coffee Break with Game Changers, 11 a.m. Eastern, November 13th. Really? The Digital Insurer Customer Centricity Opportunities Part 2. Tomorrow of I Got a Show for You on Startup Focus with Game Changers. Tomorrow, 4 p.m. Eastern, we're talking about Startup Nation Israel. Why why is Israel such a fertile ground for innovation? Why the wealth of startups per capita? Why such a high concentration of NASDAQ listed companies in Israel? We'll find out with three experts. And next Tuesday on HR Trends with Game Changers, good topic. Greta, you'll want to listen to this one. Women in Leadership, Resilience Through Change. No, Greta, you're not on that one. I'm Bonnie Graham. I want to thank John Elder, Greta Roberts, Eric Siegel, Hennersleeves. Wonderful guests. Great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me again for part two. Great information, great insights, love the crystal ball. Shout-outs to Malcolm Kimberlin and Mike Kennedy. Hello from Bonnie. Brad and the Business Channel team, you always rock. And I want everybody to put your seatbelt on. You know what's coming, my call to action. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a Game Changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another live edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. See you tomorrow.